Rock Church, how are we doing today? You guys good? You good? So good. We're excited. Now, when Clay asked that question, your favorite Christmas tree, like at the 8.30 service, he said it. I was like, oh, what is mine? And I couldn't think of anything other than just chocolate. You know what I mean? Like I had chocolate because there's always chocolate around at Christmas time. And then it started really hitting me, like those sugar cookies. Anybody, anybody like, like, like making cookies at Christmas time? I love those, but here's the rule on a sugar cookie or a Christmas cookie. I don't know what they're actually called. The more icing the better. You know what I mean? Like, like if it's like plain Jane, like, like throw that junk away, you know? It's got to be iced up, right? That's like Pop-Tarts. Anybody like a Pop-Tart? All right. Does anybody buy the Pop-Tarts with no icing? I don't know you really well, so I'm going to be careful here. But I know you, you need Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, you got to have the icing. So, Right, but so we are in the Christmas time, and, and hopefully you're getting connected and hear everything Clay said there. Definitely want you uh, serving at Christmas services, uh, attending them, being part of them. Make sure you're there. All right. Now, I want to ask a different question today as we start, and here's the question. And, and to answer this question, there's, I guess there's three responses. Don't raise your hand because you're like, nope, that's not our family. That's not me. Or raise your hand or point. I don't, whatever you feel, all right? I don't know, but, but here's the question. Are there any misfits in your family tree? Okay, so, so, so far, everybody's being kind of nice. I, I don't really see in, oh, some of us are pointing to ourselves, right? Like, like earlier in one of the service, a dude pointed at his wife and her son was on the other side and pointed at mom. And I was like, y'all living risky, you know what I mean? Like, like careful now. But, but, but it's, it's, it's just reality. There are misfits in every family that, that like you think about the Christmas stories. We, we talked about Christmas misfits last week. And, you know, one of them, we talked about Clark. He's a misfit. But you got to remember in that story, there's Cousin Eddie. Like, that's a misfit. We said Kevin is a misfit, but Buzz is his brother, and that's a misfit. That that we talk about Tim Allen in Santa Claus, like like, uh, Phil, the psychologist, misfit. In the family lineage, there's always misfits somewhere in the family tree. I remember I was talking to my mom about this because I started to ask, wondering about my family tree. And I was like, I called her this week and I said, mom, like, like, I don't really know that side of the family, but is there any misfits in our family tree? And she goes, yeah, but how do you want me to answer it? I was like, I just like, tell me what you're thinking. She goes, well, like, like you're saying a misfit, but the first thought I have is, is we have some like, like famous people in our family tree. I was like, really? She goes, yeah, Tennessee Ernie Ford is in our family line. And anybody here know Tennessee Ernie Ford? Okay, so a couple of you, chances are you're closer to my age or older if you know him. All right, then she said another one that I recognize this name, Ginger Rogers. Okay, yeah, Ginger Rogers is in my family line. And I knew that name. I was like, mom, you just listed celebrities who can dance and sing. She goes, yep, you're the misfits. 
And with a mom like that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but in the family tree, there's always misfits in every family tree. But again, I remind you, God does his greatest and best work in and through misfits. That's the line, that's the statement that I want you to grab a hold of over the next couple weeks. You know, Christmas Eve is just two weeks away and we're just gonna keep, re- just keep hitting this point. God does his best and greatest work in and through misfits. And we saw that last week when we looked at, at Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the Christmas story. And then we went further into the future and we looked at the disciples and then all the way up to present day that we look at us now that we're all misfits. But I don't want you to think it's just the Christmas story on. You can also go backwards. And you can look back in the Bible. And we could go a bunch of different directions, but what I really want to do is just look at Jesus' family. See, in his family lineage, in his family tree, is a bunch of misfits. And fortunately for us, we have his family tree listed in a couple different books of the Bible. One of them is in the book of Matthew, that, that Matthew, it was the very first book of the New Testament, and, and Matthew was a follower of Jesus who was a misfit. I talked about him last week. And what he did is he wrote a biographical account of who Jesus is, which is critical for us. Like, like we got to understand, we know so much about Jesus because one of his followers said, I want to write a biography about him. Like, I, I want to tell you about him. And, and Matthew, when he wrote his biography, he didn't just write about Jesus. He did it with a purpose in mind. His whole purpose is he wanted to help other Jews, other Hebrew people recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So if you read the book of Matthew, all through it, you'll see him quoting from the Old Testament. And and that's why he begins his book, his letter, the way he did. Like, Like if you think about most letters and most books, they wouldn't start the way Matthew started his. Because the way he started his was just with a family tree. But in it, we see the history of Jesus. In it, we see the family lineage. And in it, we see some misfits. I want to specifically look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And you'll see it here on the board. It reads like this. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Now, there's a lot of history in there, and there's some other generations in there, but this is a family tree. And, and I think it's interesting, just in this verse, we see three major misfits. One is King David, and we'll talk about David next week. The other one is Ruth, and, and I don't have time to go into Ruth. It's, a, it's an incredible story, though. You should go read it on your own, but we won't hit it in this series. And then the other one is Rahab, that Rahab is a misfit. Why is she a misfit? What, what about Rahab makes her a misfit? And why would Matthew even list her in the story, in the lineage of Jesus? I mean, one, is kind of weird that he lists her because he lists 
a female, which if you go through the book of Matthew, it's all males, except for Rahab and Ruth. It's all males that are listed. But Matthew was like, I got to remember Rahab. I got to tell you about Rahab because Rahab's story is so critical to the story of Jesus because she's a misfit. Why? Well, let's just say she had a story. Let's just say, man, she got, she got a backstory. Like her story is to the point when people walk up to her and say, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, how's the weather? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's going to change the topic because she's a prostitute. And not only was she a prostitute, we, we can pretty much tell by the stories about her that she owned the brothel. That she wasn't just a prostitute, but, but she was a prostitute who owned a brothel, a hotel, a bar where all the prostitution took place. Like she has a storied past, yet God did some of his greatest work in and through Rahab. And when we dig into her story, we're going to see that because of the work of God in her and through her, we see that she used her life to serve and she used her life to save. Like those are some two words I want you to grab a hold of today. But, but to understand them, we got to go back to Rahab's story. So let me just tell you her story. And, and to tell you her story, I got to back up quite a bit. Because the story first starts with the Israelites. That the Israelites, they were captives. They were slaves in Egypt. And, and Moses was their leader. And Moses came and he helped free the slaves, free the captives through the power of God. And they left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They were heading to the promised land that God had promised, I'm going to give you this land. And when they got to the edge of the Jordan River, they said, well, let's send 12 spies over to spy out the land. Let's see what the land is like. So these 12 spies went over to the Jordan, into the promised land. They saw the land. They came back. Now, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, the Lord is good and the land is good. He's going to give it to us. Let's go. But 10 others said, nah, there's big people there. There's giants like, it would be so difficult for us. The Lord, the Lord won't be able to do it. Let's just stay on this side of the river. And because of their lack of faith, God punished them. And for the next 40 years, they had to wander through the wilderness. And at the end of those 40 years, Moses was getting ready to die. He established Joshua, who was one of those spies, one of the spies who believed in God and believed God could do it. Moses established Joshua as the next leader, and then Moses died. And now it was time for Joshua to cross the Jordan. And he said, we're going to cross the Jordan. We're going to go battle Jericho. Before we do, I want to send two spies over to scout out Jericho. Now, there's a major difference happening here that you need to make sure you recognize. That when Moses sent the 12 spies, he was sending them to scout out the land and see what the land was like. When Joshua was sending two spies, he was sending them to say, tell us what Jericho is like because we're going there to beat him. You see what I'm saying? A big step of difference in faith. Their purpose was simply spy out the land so that we know how to do battle because we're going. And we just want to know the best way to do the battle when we get there. So Joshua sends those two. They cross over. They get into the city. And these two guys find themselves at Rahab's brothel. Now, why are they there? It's a good question. 
Some people would say, well, I wonder if they went to the brothel for like prostitute reasons, okay? You can ask that question and, and, and you can have that opinion. There's some people that will believe that. I don't land there. I, I, I don't think that's why. And the reason why is because I really believe Joshua was sending faith-filled men to spy out the land. That wouldn't be doing that. So then why would they be there? Well, you got to understand the brothel was the hotel. It was the bar. It was the place where people would go and they would pass through. So it would have been easier for them to go and get information there as different people were coming in and out of the hotel, in and out of the bar, in and out of that area, they could have been asking questions. They would blend in with the other people. That's what I really believe happened. But, but either way, while they're there, the king of Jericho hears that the spies from, uh, of the Israelites have shown up, so he sends some men to kill them, to capture them and kill them. When they get there, uh, Rahab recognizes what's going on, and she takes the two men and hides them on her roof, covers them with some flax, and, and then goes down, and the men say, hey, we've heard there's some spies here. She goes, yes, they were, but they've left. They're no longer in the house, and they weren't right? They were on top of the roof, right? That, that they're no longer here. They're gone. And, and so she says that. So they leave to go chase them in. Then she goes up on the roof and she goes, all right, well, we got to talk. I've hid you. We got to talk because your God, I've seen the effects of your God. Your God has shown up every time you've done battle in the wilderness, and because of that, look at what she says. She says, so no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is supreme God of heaven above and the earth below. Like she's like, I want to tell you what I believe and what people believe about your God. Now I'm going to come back to this. Let me go forward for a second. She says, now swear to me, by the Lord, that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. That, that basically what she's saying is because of what she's seen in God, I want to serve God and I've chosen to serve you. If you want God to work in you and through you, then it starts by serving and the first way you serve is you serve God. Let me, let me go back to that verse. It says, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is supreme, is the supreme God, the sovereign God, the, 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 the superior God. That's what she's saying there. Of heavens above and earth below. And I want you to make sure you catch this. That Rahab who doesn't know God, doesn't have a relationship with Yahweh, doesn't know Adonai. Like, like she doesn't know him, but she's seen the effects of him, and she says, I'm in. Like, I'm ready to turn from my sinful life, from my life of prostitution. I'm ready to turn and follow your God and your people because your God reigns supreme. I want you to think about this. By doing so, she was turning her back on the gods of the, of the people of Jericho. She was turning her back on the, the, the graven images, the wooden statues, the, the things that everybody else was bowing down to. And she was saying, I'm all in. 
And she was all in for the rest of her life. See, if we go to the end of the story, it says she was numbered with the Israelites for the rest of her life. And she married Salmon, and from there had Boaz, and you see her in the family lineage of Jesus. We need to be more like Rahab. And we need to be willing to serve God. We need to be willing to turn our back on all of our false idols and false gods and worship and serve the true God. And I know you might be here going, well, time out, Josh. Like, like I don't serve false gods. I don't like bow down to graven images like, like the people of Jericho did. Or do we? Like, like, like we might not think that we bow down to false gods, but how often do we bow down to the false god of our identity? How often do we bow down to the false god of technology? And that, that phone that we carry, that social media that we're on, ends up being a god in our life. How often do we, do we bow down and fall down and we, we worship the, the, the false God of, of money and greed and, and possessions and we're like, man, I got to get, I got to get, I got to get. I got to hold, I got to hold, I got to hold. How often, you might not like this one, how often do we bow down to the false God of our children? Like, like, I know that sounds weird, but, but how many times have we actually taken our kids and put them on a pedestal and whatever they want, whatever their desires, no matter what's going on, we treat them as God, right? And I know that sounds kind of crazy because like, like I love my kids, right? You love your kids. I, I love my grandkids more probably, but <laughs> amen. I get some grandparents saying amen on that one, right? But, but seriously, like, I love my kids. I adore my kids. They're great, but how often do we, do we find ourselves maybe putting them in a position where, in essence, we're bowing down to them? Like, we're making them a God in our life, or we're making our spouse a God in our life, or we're making our career a God in our life, or we're making our sexuality a God in our life, that we put all these things up and we bow down to them rather than bowing down and serving God. Rahab made a decision that was a crazy decision because she knew nothing of God except the effects of God that she had seen happen on the other side of the Jordan. But she said, I've seen the power of your God. I'm all in. I'm here to serve God. And I'll say no to the false gods of the people of Jericho. I'll say no to my past sin. I'll say no to my current career. And I'll take a step and start serving God. We need to be like Rahab. And serve God as we serve people. And see, go back to the story. Here's what it said. It said, now swear. Remember, she's talking to the, the spy. She goes, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Since I have hidden you. Since I have taken care of you. Since I have served you. That she made a decision I'm going to serve these people. I'm going to take care of them, and I'm going to hide them. It was in the middle of a wartime situation where she looked at people who were actually coming to kill her, and she said, I'm going to help them. 
because of what I see in God. And what would it look like if we had that same attitude and we served people who maybe try to do ill towards you? You serve people who maybe have been mean to you. You serve some family members who maybe haven't said nice things about you. That you serve some neighbors and some coworkers and, and fellow students who maybe you don't have the best relationship with. Maybe you looked at the situation going on and said there's a war going on, not between me and that person, but there's a spiritual war going on, and I'm going to bring some peace into the situation. I can't help but think about what's called the Christmas truce of 1914. When, when we were doing some study for this sermon, I was talking to Clay, and we came across his story, and, and it happened all throughout uh, battlefields during World War, World War I. It started uh, with, with one story that I read that, that there was this British soldiers who were basically living in a trench, a three foot by three foot trench. That's, that's where they lived. And, and then there was the German soldiers that they were at war with who were also living in a three foot trench. And in between them was called no man's land. And what they were doing is they were battling back and forth day after day after day. And every now and then they'd kind of have a ceasefire where people could go and collect their dead and pull them back. Well, one day they were battling. It happened to be Christmas Eve. And as night came, they, they kind of stopped and, and bullets weren't flying at this moment. And the British soldiers could hear the Germans singing. They were actually singing Christmas carols. They could, they could tell by the melody. They didn't understand the language, but they could tell by the melody that they were singing Christmas carols. So the British soldiers started joining in, and they started singing Christmas carols. And then eventually, one of the German soldiers uh, kind of shouted out in English. He said, I'm coming to the middle of no man's land. I'm unarmed. And he walked to the middle so a British soldier got up, and he walked to the middle as well. And they shook hands right in the middle of the, of the zone. And then eventually, everybody else came out, and they started serving one another. They, they started trading haircuts for cigarettes and, and food and just serving one another. They even had a game of soccer break out on the field. Now, unfortunately, it didn't last. World War I continued on for several years after that. But for a moment, people laid down their weapons and they served one another. What would happen if we did the same thing? What would happen if we, in the middle of this kind of war that we're in, again, not with people, but the spiritual war that's going on, what would happen if we said, I just want to serve you? You might go, well, how would I do that? Well, one, maybe just hand out a cup of cold water. You know, that's biblical. Look, look at what Jesus said. He said, and, even, and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Man, he's saying just serve somebody by handing a cup of cold water or maybe a Diet Coke <laughs> or maybe a cup of coffee or maybe a plate of Christmas cookies. What would happen if I just serve somebody. 
What happened if I serve somebody by loving them? Look at what Jesus said here. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That if we just simply start loving one another, we'll give proof of who Jesus is. So we serve by, by giving, we serve by loving, we serve by being generous. Let me tell you another parable that, that Jesus told. He, he had a group around him and he, and he said, let me tell you this story. He said, once there was a man who, had a, who was a farmer and he had a bumper year of crops, a bumper year of, of, of crops coming in and so much so that when he looked at his barns, he, he couldn't fill his barns, that, that they were too full. So he said, I, I, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and then I'll put all my crop in there and I'll have so much, I'll be able to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God said this to him. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That Jesus is saying, if you're not rich towards God, if you're not generous towards God, that if you're not serving God, you'll be judged. And think about Rahab for a second. Rahab gave all to God. She turned it all over, her career, her money, her house. She gave it all. She said, I'm all in. And again, this is a lady that really didn't even know God. She just knew the effects of God. If that's the case with her, how much more should we be willing to give to God? How much more should we be willing to say, God, you've got it all. And here's the reality. If you're a Christ follower and you are not generous towards God and towards others, one, you're missing a blessing. But secondly, and probably even more importantly, you'll be judged because you're being disobedient. You're being disobedient. Giving isn't just a choice we make. It's what we do to obey God. And he says it very clearly, if we're not rich towards God, if we're not giving towards God, then we will get what we have done for ourselves. So start to give. Serve God and others by giving. But there's one other thing. One other thing that I would say that that we pull from this story is that Rahab didn't just serve she also helped save. Let me, let me tell you the rest of the story. That, that as she was talking to them and said, remember me because I've helped you, they said, okay, we hear you, you're right, and we will help you. We will remember you. When we come into this city and we destroy this city, we're going to let you live. We're going to let you, we're going to let all your family, your mom, your dad, whoever you want, but here's the rule, they have to be in your house. If they're not in your house, they're going to they're gonna come under judgment. If they're not in your house, and, and if you're not in your house, then, then your blood will be on your own head. But we'll come to your house, and we'll know your house because you'll have this scarlet cord hanging from the window, and we won't hurt anybody. And so then they left, and when they left, they, they went back. They hid for a little bit out through the wilderness. Then they went back to Joshua. They told Joshua what was happening. Joshua said, all right, it's time to battle. 
Now, the battle was different than what we would expect. The way they battled is, is they marched around the city one time, and then they went to bed. And then the next day, they got up and marched around the city again and went to bed. And then the next day, got up, marched around the city, and went to bed. So this happened for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, they all shouted to God and blew some trumpets, and the walls came down. It was that simple. Like, like, woo, walls fall down. Except for the area in the wall where Rahab's house was. The soldiers rushed in, they, they, they won the battle, they killed everybody as an act of war, and then at the end of the battle, this is what happens. It says this, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. Like, like I want you to see that. That they didn't just go and bring Rahab out, but they brought Rahab and all of her loved ones that were with her. How did her loved ones get into the house? Through an invite. Without an invite, they're not there. But because of an invite, they were in the house. And, and this is what I, I just can't help but fathom. See, see, I don't think that Rahab, when she heard the, soul, the, the, the spies tell her to go and get her people and put them in her house, I don't think Rahab went, okay, well, I've got a couple days. They're going to be out hanging, out, like hiding out. And then they got to go tell Joshua. So I got some time. I'll just clean up my house. I'll make sure it's good. This is what I believe. We don't have any record of this, but this is what I believe. My guess is that as soon as those spies left, she said, I got work to do. And it's not cleaning up my house. It's going to my loved ones. And I believe she ran to to her dad. And she's like, dad, 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 listen, the Israelites are coming. They're going to destroy this land, but you can be saved. All you got to do is come into my house. All you got to do is come home with me. Mom, like, you can be saved. All you got to do is come home. Just, just come. And then she went to her brothers. And again, I don't think she went, well, my brothers don't really like me. Well, my brothers don't really like my house because of what used to happen there. Or my brothers, they, they really, they're, they're not really fans of God. So I don't know if they would appreciate the invitation. And they don't really like the Israelite people. So I don't know if I, like, no, she didn't do that. She knew what was on the line. So she went to her brothers and she said, listen, you got to come home with me. You got to come to my house. And then she went to every other family member, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, sisters, and said, listen, judgment is imminent. A battle is about to happen. Destruction is coming to our land, but you can be saved if you'll just come to my house. And what would happen if those of us who are Christ's followers lived with the urgency of Rahab and invited people into the house? What would happen? This place would be full. There wouldn't be any seats around you. We'd be starting more services. And more important than this place being full, you know what, what house would be full? Heaven. Heaven would be full. 
of people we love. And here's the beauty of Jesus. He goes, well, let's add another room to that mansion. And we'll just keep making room. We'll just keep making room because he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So will you help save by giving an invitation? And be like Rahab, serve and save. And that's how misfits see that God do his greatest work in them and through them. Now, I want to see that happen in your life today. So why don't you do me a favor? We're going to move into this time of response. If you'd stand up and I want to give you a chance to put your faith in action. You see, for some of you, you're like Rahab, that you've never chosen to serve God. You've been serving sin. You've been serving false gods. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that just like Rahab, you make a decision and you say, I'm going to follow God. And you might say, I don't really know a whole lot about Jesus. Either did Rahab. Either did I when, when I started following, but you know in your mind, you're like, I've seen the effects of God. I've seen the works, works of God. I'm going to choose to serve him today. And I'm going to invite you to do that. You can come to our Connect Corner. There's a couple people right there in that Connect Corner who would love to pray with you and help you come to know Jesus as your Savior. There'll be a couple of us back in this Connect Corner. We would love to pray with you and help you to connect with Jesus and to make a decision to serve him. For others of you who have surrendered, evaluate, am I serving God? Am I serving others? Am I helping save? Evaluate it and make the decisions that we need to make today because he wants to work in you and through you. Let's respond.